Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. This podcast has been recorded during Vivite, an event organized by the Alleanza delle Cooperative Italiane, the Alliance of Italian Corps. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast with me, Monty Walden. My guest today is Enrico Zanoni. Is that okay? From, it's fine. From Cavit, which is short for or stands for Cantina Viticoltori del Trentino. Correct. So what is Cavit? Is it a cooperative, a group of cooperatives? Yeah, we are what we call a cooperative of second level, which basically means we are an aggregation of different cooperatives particularly 10 cooperatives, basically based in Trentino. Their cooperatives cover almost 70% of the total Trentino production. And uh, That's huge. Uh, yeah. They supply to us almost 80% of their production. So we have a, a strong relation with the territory, a strong social responsibility. Because as I say, 70, 60% of the total production, grape production in the region, basically is, uh, let me say, sold in brackets through our organization. I mean, how much responsibility do you feel that you have for the local economy? Yeah, we have a huge responsibility. Is Cavit just wine or do you do it fruit and other products as well? No, it's just wine. We are just wine. We have uh, indirectly through our cooperative sisters as aggregated, we had uh, the grapes coming from 4,500 wine growers. So an important part of the income of the region is uh, made by our, by our results. Uh, so we have an organization which is uh, started in 50s at the beginning with the main purpose of uh, technical assistance to the single wine grower. Then in 57 we had the, the sales responsibilities. In the 70s, let me say, the commercial part uh, became more and more important. Somehow, in some extent, the, let me say, the technical assistance was relatively uh, reduced. So you say in the 70s things were changed. Was that a move to more bottled wine rather than, say, bulk wine? No, we started moving uh, bottled wine. We were uh, one of the pioneers exporting in the late 70s, exporting to U.S., mainly Pinot Grigio, which is our main varietal. And we started in 79, 80s, the export to U.S. Now we are the number one Italian brand in the uh, U.S. market. Uh, focusing not just on Pinot Grigio, mainly Pinot Grigio, but also other varietals like uh, Pinot Noir, Riesling, Moscato, Chardonnay. So what is your main Pinot Grigio brand? We have Cavit Collection, which is main brand, and we have Bottega Vinay, which is our other premium brand. So we, we propose different appellations. We have as a premium product the appellation DOC Trentino, so the main appellation of the region. Then we have another uh, price level with the IGT Dolomite, Dolomite, and then we have what was before IGT Delevenete and now is DOC Delevenete. So we have a segmentation in Pinot Grigio starting from the peak in quality and pricing, which is DOC Trentino, till uh, the more affordable premium products with, uh, with the DOC Delevenete. And we have uh, specific brands for each single uh, price segment. I mean, Pinot Grigio is a little bit like Prosecco in the sense that everybody's heard of it. How difficult is it 
to get people to trade up, to not just always buy the cheapest Pinot Grigio that they, they see on a, on a rest, in a restaurant list or on a, on a shelf in a supermarket? Yeah, I would say there are some differences between Pinot Grigio and Prosecco. Pinot Grigio has a longer history on the market. Uh, as I said before, it started basically in the early 70s and it boomed in the early 90s. Uh, so it's in a more, I wouldn't say mature phase, but it's definitely a more uh, solid business. It's the number four varietal in U.S. market. It's one of the first in U.K. So it's in a different stage of evolution where you have more opportunity for segmentation and uh, there is room for different premium branded products. Our brand is recognized as a one of the historical with a solid reputation made in the, in the years thanks to the fact that we never, so we always uh, been reliable and uh, how, how, do you maintain that rep, how do you maintain that reputation in terms of what are you doing viticulturally in the vineyards to make sure that you keep the edge? How difficult is it to convince the growers, listen, we want a few less kilos from you, but higher quality. How does that message go down? Yeah, no, we hardly work uh, with the support with the wine growers. We have a team of uh, 15 agronomists. We have uh, very sophisticated tools in terms of, uh, we have a platform, a digital platform with all the information about each single uh, small piece of land of our wine growers. So we combine a lot of information in this platform, like uh, kind of soil, uh, average temperature, solar radiation, that give us the opportunity to really give to the wine growers precise indication to have what is called a precise viticulture. Precision viticulture. Precision viticulture. And give us also the opportunity to have a very good segmentation of what is supplied to the sellers and we have a perfect traceability from each single small piece of vinyl to what is in the bottle. We have also all kind of different certification like BRC, but now uh, from this year we will start with this uh, certification made by the Italian Minister of Agriculture called uh, Sistema Nazionale Qualità Produzione Integrata with SQI, which means uh, National System of uh, Integrated Production. Yeah, sustainable, sustainable, sustainable uh, uh, production. And the BRC you mentioned is that's the British Retail Consortium yeah, right, uh, certification. Right. Now, all the data that you've got this precision viticulture, are you being able to map changes in, in the climate as well yes. with that? So yes. what's going on? Yeah, in fact, if we make a long-term analysis, we have for sure an increase of average temperature, which is bringing different approach. We are, thanks to God, mostly a viticulture of mountain. So we are in a good position to face the challenge of the of the temperature increase, the global warming, but it's changing the, also the way to to work in, in the vineyard and to to have a different approach also in terms of uh, defense for uh, for uh, Pests and virus. Diseases. Exactly. So what do you, what do, I mean? What changes are you seeing? What are the growers doing well, to combat climate change? Uh, the first uh, very simple impact is the fact that the harvest is. Is getting more and more anticipated. So Earlier, yeah. uh, also the trace of the maturity and the way to price the wine grower is changing because it's based on different parameters that he used to do to be in the past in so order say- to have the grapes coming in, in the winery with the right condition to obtain the wine that uh, we would like to have in terms of characteristic and objectives. 
So in the old days, they say be paid on sugar content, potential right, alcohol. Right, right. Are you switching that now to, to like um, pH and, and pH, total acidity? Exactly. So how can they bring grapes into your winery that, that has that the required acidity level, given that acidi- acidity gets burnt off the hotter it gets? What are they doing uh, we, in the vineyard? Is, are they changing their pruning, trellising, yes. leaf cover? Yes. The assistance that we need to them is based on this uh, objective, uh, like teaching how to prune in a more coherent way with the, the evolution of the situation and also the our team of uh, agronomists mm-hmm. they trace the evolution of the age and the grapes and so we give precise indication when it's time to harvest what happens if they don't listen if you come to my vineyard and, and you say look monty it's getting hotter can you leave a few more leaves during the growing season can you prune a different way and i don't listen to you but my numbers are still good do you still pay me for my grapes or do you say look you didn't follow the protocol even though your grapes are good we're not going to pay you how does that work well what we can do is to advise them we, we cannot force in any case so usually we prove in the past years that the advice was right and so we we gain uh, trust and confidence uh, but they can also not follow some indication then it's up to them and they will be awarded or not awarded according to the quality of grapes that they will bring to the cellar. So do they see you as like the wise grandfather? The old old chap looking over looking no, over the vineyards or, or do they see you do they see no, you as an interfering so and so? Right. Good question. I would say in a lot of cases the study that we made in the last uh, let me say five years they scientifically prove what the experience of, of the grandfather and the father of the grandfather they had in, in, in the last uh, 30 years. Uh, in other cases, we were able to add to the experience because if you take the, our uh, wine growers, usually uh, they own the, the land since uh, five generations, so there is no, no, no exchange of wine in terms of transaction, economic transaction. So our tools, our indication, they add to the experience. They didn't substitute the experience. And I think it's a very good combination. I, I tend to say that our model as a cabinet is a very peculiar business model. I say everybody claims to be peculiar, but I think we are really peculiar because we combine, let me say, the artisanal touch of the small wine grower. Keep in mind that our wine grower, they have one, one hectare of ownership, so very small land, so they can really take care in a very artisanal way. While we have also very good state-of-the-art in technology in our big cellar, thanks to the size that we reached in the last year, we are in the, in the ranking of the, of the sellers in Italy, we are number three, number one. Three, number five, so we are in terms of, of size, in yeah. terms of size to know. Do one your growers also have um, like fruit trees, like apples and no, other crops? No, no. They we just are, focus on grapes. Focus just on is that because it pays more money? Because no, Pinot Grigio is worth more mission, than an apple. Uh, the original mission was that, and we stick to the original mission. So it's Carvit for Vit, as in Vitis, as in wine, not Carpom, as in an apple. Okay. Um, Now, in terms of um, global markets, what are are global trends? We tend to think that we're drinking better quality, but maybe a little bit less wine. There's an emerging market, obviously, in Asia. America's got a very strong wine market now. Where where are the future opportunities going to come from, either in terms of your styling or the way that you you brand? Firstly, we export 80% of our 
to lower our production. First market is US, second market is Italy, so we cannot forget our domestic market. Third market is UK, then Germany, Canada, then we have uh, Mexico, uh, Russia. So our approach, we, thanks to our size, thanks to the fact that we cover an important piece of vinyl, uh, uh, we can have a very segmented offer. So we, we can offer the very premium specific product coming from the region with the typical characteristic of local grape. While we, we can have also wine, they try to match the consumer, the local consumer expectation. So we have some products that are just dedicated to the US and Canadian market, some other products they are dedicated to the Chinese market. So, uh, Who are the toughest our, negotiators? Yeah, good question. Uh, I will tend to say Chinese really yeah. Yeah. so I mean when then when you're negotiating with a with a Chinese uh, client is it about the price is it about the packaging the product what are the key key things that you're having to deal with uh, it's a mix of different stuff so it's a difference and we say also culture approach that you have to respect and to understand different way of doing business yeah way of doing business and uh, also the distribution in China is very complex because you have uh, a lot of passages to reach the final consumer, so it's... Uh, Does that make styling wines hard? If it's if there's a this big sort of gap between you and, and the person that's drinking the wine, maybe in America it's, it's easier to that you know that when you sell something it's going to end up with a certain type of demographic drinking the wine, whereas in China it may yeah, be... That's correct, that's correct. So we have less information about the demographics, about expectation, about consumer clusters so it's uh, more difficult and in addition if you take the current situation the Chinese market is 85% red wines while I don't know if it will remain in that way for the coming years because it was let me say somehow a vicious cycle because everybody say Chinese they drink just red wines and so we offer just red wine and a kind of style of red wine while it's, it's like the egg and the chicken so I don't know how will evolve the market, but I tend to believe that it will move to a more, a more complex market. So the white grapes, they will take place, uh, sparkling wine will take place in the, in, the, in the Chinese market too in the coming years. What about dealing with monopolies like the Canadian monopoly and the Scandinavian monopolies who are huge well, buyers? I, and they have do, I mean, I, I'm into organics as you may know, they do seem to be into organics and encouraging sort of organic uh, products. How do your growers feel about that? Do they think it's a waste of time, too expensive, impossible to do? or worth considering? No, there is a trend in the direction of the organic, it's a matter of fact. If we take the percentage of how much it accounts in the total market, it's still quite low. If you take percentage of growth, they are very high, but the base, the starting base is still quite low. So it's a trend. It's a trend that you cannot ignore. We consider the trend as a region we are focused on a very sustainable agriculture. Right now the biological is a choice of the wine growers. We haven't yet an organic product range. We are studying some. Would that be a Pinot Grigio? Would it be a Teroldigo? Would it be like a uh, we are Chardonnay? We about a Pinot Grigio for some markets. We, we have some market tests right now. In terms of cost, how much more would it take you, the cooperative, to, to put a bottle on the shelf? So mainly your extra cost will be in the vineyard because the bottle is going to cost the well, same. What you can it? see right now, it's a matter of uh, evaluation that we are doing right now. 
market is not ready to pay what is the real extra cost of the production. And it's what, an extra 10% cost. It's one, one of the challenges because if you take what recently happened in the US, after that Amazon bought the Whole Food retail chain, they they reduced the price of the organic products and they put pressure on on the cost of organic wine. So that's, uh, consumers tend to expect to have uh, an organic product at the same price of uh, a conventional wine. So it's one of the challenges. That, yeah, no, that is uh, tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, they've got huge, obviously huge power. Obviously, you, you work for one of the largest cooperative groups in the world, effectively, for wine, for high-quality wine. How do you see the future of cooperatives? A cooperative is an idea of people putting together, people working together, people sharing, whereas our culture is now about the ego, me, I, the individual. How are you going to react or cope with that, with that situation? Yeah, firstly, I think that cooperative model in the wine is a, a winning model because several reasons, because the, to master the production is key and is, it will be even more key in the future and is the key strategic factor of cooperatives without having too much invested capital because the land belongs to the wine grower so you can have a very good control of the production. To spend money on a huge winery and a bottling I think that that is the starting point crucial for the future but in the meantime we have to add more competencies in commercial aspect, bottling production aspect and I think as a caveat we are a good example of some action that must be evolved in the future. I tend to say that we are a sort of example of network of companies or chain of companies because I think that uh, one of the issues that the cooperative in Italy at least they have to face in the coming years is the size because they tend to have a small size uh, which is uh, not a positive aspect to compete on the global market. So I think the, the aggregation of cooperatives respecting the original nature of each single cooperative has to be push in the future because it will be a good way to combine the spirit, the original spirit of company with more, let me say, competitive economic advantages, economy of scale. But aren't we seeing that though in the Italian cooperative sector where we've seen cooperative groups, individual cooperatives joining together, pooling their resources in terms of marketing and distribution channels. Rather than having five export managers, you maybe have one export manager and an assistant which obviously is going to save, save money. And yeah, it's not just a, a matter of save money, but it's also a matter to have the best competence possibly. And more volume for and the more market. more volume, to have a, a more huge portfolio, to have more bargaining power, to have more service. Uh, but wouldn't they then say to you that that's fine, the idea is great, but then when we as a group run up against Amazon that now owns Whole Foods in the USA, they know that they can beat us down on, on price because they know that we've got the volume. Yeah, that, that's the, the, where is the limit? The catch-22, isn't it? Exactly. So I think that is another element because the, the power of the trade is huge and also the fact that in the wine industry, the the weight of the brand equity is relatively low, so that tends to push the producer, like we are, 
to have very low margin. At the end, the point of equilibrium is really to maintain to the wine growers the right income to look at the future and to keep the vine. And in some cases, the push, if you look at the income per hectare in some areas, doesn't allow to look at the future and to keep the production and all the implication because means to keep the territory in a good in a good shape with the control of all the elements related to the, to a territory. Let me say something that in the future is one of the other challenges. So to find in the value chain a better way of the different reward on the single piece of the chain. Yeah, no, it's everywhere. I mean, the thing with wine, we always use it on making widgets, making. Uh like Coca-Cola cans, for example, you have a machine and it will work 24 hours a day. It's always predictable. Whereas in wine growing, the weather yeah, ultimately the case. right. So you've got always got a flexible fixed cost. It's a fixed cost, but you've got flexible costs in terms of how many grapes you're going to get, exactly. how much juice they're going to give you, and how much wine you can make. Okay, fascinating talking to you. I just want to say thanks very much to Enrico Zanoni, who is the director, direttore, general manager at Cavit, which is probably Italy's most important cooperative group. Can I say? That? Is that accurate? Well, one of, okay. One of, we've seen some. Okay, fantastic talking to you. Covered a lot of ground and I uh, hope to uh, come up and see you in Trentino sometime. Yes, of course, you are always welcome to visit us. That's very kind, thank you. This episode has been brought to you by Vinitali 2018, taking place in Verona from April 15th to 18th. Vinitali is the wine exhibition that helps you discover and get to know Italian wine and features over 4,200 wineries. Follow Italian Wine Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. 